The following episode was recorded before March 2024, and while the content shared is valuable and useful, it features Rob, who is no longer involved in the business. Hey, it's Rob and Kennedy. Hello, today on the Email Marketing Show, we're talking about major problems with B2B email marketing and some really easy ways to fix them. Now, at the end of this episode, if you're thinking, God, that sounds great, I need to figure out how to do this even further in my business, then we've created a free Facebook group for exactly that purpose. It's a great community to ask questions, seek advice, make friendships, uh, and really talk about the stuff that happens on this podcast and email marketing in general. So if you want to join that group, just head over to Facebook and search for The Email Marketing Show Community. The Email Marketing Show Community. You can click join, we'll get you into the group. You can introduce yourself, have some amazing discussions with some incredible people, and a lot of fun in that group as well. So go and search for the Email Marketing Show community, and we will see you there. He has not been to the cinema for about six years. It's comedy hypnotist Robert Temple. And he likes to try different tomato ketchups. Ketchups or ketchup? I don't know. It's psychological mind reader, Kennedy. So you haven't been to the cinema for six years. Is that just nothing tickling your pickle? Or do you hate other people? Or are you tied to I'm the desk? Not. I've just not made the effort. You know when you think about, oh, what could I do today? That for some reason, the ci- I used to go quite a lot. But then, obviously, there was a few years where we had this pandemic thing and you couldn't go to the cinema. So that rules that out. But then basically, for about a year preceding the pandemic, maybe if I'd known there was going to be a three-year pandemic, I'd have gone three times a day to make up for it in advance, like to store <laughs> that up. The cr- anyway, so I hadn't been for like a year before the pandemic. Then the pandemic we weren't expecting happened. Then it lasted longer than we thought it was going to happen. And then I've just never been... I've never got back into the rhythm of saying, oh, let's go and see a film. So I'm, I'm going to set a New Year's resolution in whatever month it is now. Um, an early New Year's resolution to go and see a film this month. Nice. I, I like a your style. film, as people from our part of the world say, a film. A film. A film. Oh. What are the pictures? Is, ke- is the plural of ketchup ketchup or ketchup? I, I was think thinking this when you ketchup. said it. I think it is because I'm trying different tomato ketchups. Um, no, whereas... I think it's different types of tomato ketchup. Well, it's the brands of ketchups I'm, ta- I'm tasting, though, isn't it? Ah, you're trying different brands, though, of tomato ketchup. Uh, maybe. Ketchup, he, she, shall ketchup, <laughs> they shall. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've always been, like, a Heinz person. Like, I think most people are like, I'll have Heinz. And then one day I was like, let's go wild. Let's spice up a little bit how fries and chips taste. So I bought a daddy's one, daddy's ketchup. So I bought that. And that was nice. And then there was this other fancy one in a fancier bottle the other week. So I bought that. And then when I go to America, so it was like some really nice fancy ketchup. So yeah, I'm just trying different ketchups. I mean, I'm not, I don't have like a, a shelf of ketchups. I've got one ketchup at a time. I'm not crazy. I've got one ketchup at a time, but each time I'm trying to find a different ketchup. I have a daddy's brown sauce in the cupboard because oh. I'm a brown sauce person myself. Oh. I have a daddy's brown sauce in the cupboard, um, not because it's the one I buy, but because I ordered from the local chip shop and I had to get the order amount over a certain threshold in order to get delivery. And I just went, <laughs> what else can I buy? Oh, brown sauce, £1.29, done. You're the person who bought the sauce from the chippy? That's exactly it, purely. You get a glass bottle of sauce. They go, they're not, it's not a little sachet thing. Oh. I'm serious about the sauce. Just because <laughs> I needed somehow to get my order up by a quid. Wow. That's how I ended up, ended up with an extra pack of the chips. <laughs> they get you. They get you. Hello, every week on this show, we show you how to make more sales and earn more money from your email subscribers. We talk about email strategy, psychology, tactics, and share what's working right now to make more sales online, making you the email marketing hero of your business. Yeah.
<laughs> I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> I pressed all the buttons. All the fucking buttons. I might as well press boo. Fuck email. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> That's the fucker. That's him. Anyway, we've got a brand new episode that we do very professionally every, every email ma- every email marketing Wednesday. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. What's <laughs> hilarious is that you've even you've even defaced your little roadcaster mixing the thing by writing on the buttons in permanent marker, which you now can't change. And then because you've changed what the buttons do. Oh mate, that button says Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Because you've changed what the buttons do, the labels make no sense anymore, which means you're flying blind anyway. Mate, that button says Julie from, we used to do a segment called What Would Julie Andrews Do? Yeah, and if you want to go and hear that, go and listen to episode one of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but not episode two. Didn't no. make it. It didn't make it. It might have made a couple of episodes. I think no, we made it... a few episodes and then we, we canned that because only we thought it was funny. <laughs> Oh, I wish I had it handy. I would have played it for everybody. Uh, if you haven't already, by the way, you should probably hit subscribe, otherwise you might miss out on all of this professionalism um, that we're going to get into. Uh, yeah, hit subscribe on your podcast player and uh, leave us a review uh, if you haven't already, because that would be excellent. Your job as a person doing email marketing for your business is to convert as many people on your email list into customers, but it's literally impossible to do that if your emails are not actually getting delivered into the inbox. And we can't take this delivery thing for granted. We do have to do some work on it. We can't put all of the responsibility for that on our email marketing platform, like jumping from one platform to the next, hoping that you're going to get better delivery. You have to take some of the responsibility here. And it all comes down to the data quality, the quality of the data that you've got in your email platform. That's what is the difference between your emails landing in the email inbox and just not at all. In fact, Zero Bounce in their email list decay report, sounds exciting, found that almost 23% of the average email list goes bad every year. That's almost a quarter of the average email list actually goes rotten just while you're sat sending emails and hoping for the best. In fact, only 57, 57%, 57% of all email addresses that Zero Bounce checked last year were valid and safe to use. Only 57%, right? And they actually validated more than 6 billion emails just in 2022. And Zero Bounce have got this amazing collection of tools that help you to boost deliverability. And they're kind enough to sponsor this episode of the show. So you can go and check out these amazing tools and make sure that your email addresses are being verified and validated against all these data points, go check it out at emailmarketingheroes.com slash bounce. That's emailmarketingheroes.com slash bounce. And remember, by supporting and checking out our sponsors, you're also supporting the show. So let's start off with something that nobody talks about when it comes to B2B, which is we have a slightly different philosophy. I'm going to play it again. We have a slightly different philosophy on B2B which is there are two types of B2B marketing. And we refer to them internally as B2B, uppercase B, uppercase B, right? And B, uppercase B, two, and then lowercase B. And what we mean by that is smaller business, smaller business. And the big difference between uppercase business and lowercase business is that lowercase B2B, they buy... The way they buy, the way they behave, the way they make decisions is like consumers do. 
it's easy to think, well, what I sell is a business solution. Like take for us, for example, we ha- we, t- we teach email marketing, which obviously no normal person who doesn't have a business is probably going to be interested in. So you m- we might think of ourselves, and we did for a little while, think of ourselves as B2B. And people are like, oh, this is how you do B2B marketing. Yes. Whereas actually our customers are spending their own money. We help small businesses of maybe up to teams of like, I don't know, 15 or something is, is kind of where we, where, where we work at. So we, th- we have to think about, even though we are selling to other businesses, the way they buy, the way they make decisions around what they spend money on and how they invest is very much like a consumer, very much like the end customer, because it's generally their money. If we spend money in our business, that's money that we're not taking out as our pocket money, as our as our cash. And some people who join our programs and buy from us are so sort of so small B, they're so new to business that currently their business isn't making any money right now and they're putting their money in, which means yeah. they are quite literally spending their money. It's not like they're spending money they can't take out the business. They're literally spending money by putting it into the business. So you've got to remember, again, that's that's the situation there. So really, first of all, assess your business and go, am I actually B2B in the very traditional sense of I sell to Jeff who works in accounts for big business? Or am I actually selling to you know, uh, Sandra, who started a business because she cares about this thing massively, and actually she's spending her child, her kids' inheritance right now, um, trying to make a future that's better by investing her money now. Because that makes it. Yeah, and in this episode, having... yeah, it makes a massive. And you've got to, you've got to make that decision. You go, okay, okay, now I've got my definition. And yes, in this episode, we're going to be talking about mostly B to big B. But if you're thinking, oh well, I'm B, I'm B to small B because they behave like consumers, they they are spending their money. Um, great news, every episode of The Email Marketing Show, everything that we do fits you perfectly because you're going to treat these people as the individual, as if they're consumers, right? As if you are B to C. That's how you're going to think of them. And by the way, it is that thinking, this idea of coming up with B to small b, that changed the way we thought about the way we communicate and made us better at communicating with our audience. It was a huge change for us when we figured that out. So hopefully, for a whole bunch of people listening, they've gone, bloody hell, that's the thing I've been doing wrong. I've been speaking B to big B, when actually my audience is B to little B, all right? But in this episode, we are going to focus on those folks who are B to big B, and uh, and I think we'll all learn something anyway, even if we're B to small B. So, Here's a really important thing about when we think about dealing with businesses, the uppercase B, the proper businesses where they've got team and they're reporting to people and budgets and stuff, is every single person in that business is a really busy human being. They're a busy, busy person. And that busy person has short attention. They're a busy bee. What's that? They're a busy bee. Busy. They're a busy bee to bee. <laughs> That's right, children. Sit down. <laughs> I'm going to stop playing that in a second, uh, probably. Um, but yeah, they're, they're busy and they've got short attention spans because they've got so many things to be doing. They have to have short attention spans. But here's a really important thing is they've still got emotions. They've still got stuff they care about. And the things that they care about are doing a really good job so that they get good results and their boss pats them on the back and they hit their KPIs and their numbers. And they care about doing it in a way that's as easy as possible for them. 
because it won't impact the other stuff they're doing. And it means they can perhaps relieve some stress and alleviate some pressure, right? So that that's that's really, really important that you think about the person you're sending emails to as a human being who has all those things and they want those things. So let's talk about five of the sort of problems that people will have with this B2B thing, uh, assuming that they've decided, okay, that's definitely who my audience are. That's definitely who I sell to. Let's try and sort of go through these things. So the first one is nobody is joining your business to business, your B2B email list. So you, you're building a list of people who are B2B and you're trying to figure out, um, you know, why, why is nobody joining this thing? And part of the problem is, is, of course, that actually there's like a new level of distraction in that world. So what, what they've got right now, that person. So let's imagine you've got Sandra who works in the marketing department of company and she's your ideal prospect to be on your list. She's got all of her personal life going on and all the things she's trying to deal with there, right? So she's got a puppy and she's trying to learn dog training and she's you know, trying to figure out her accounts and she's in debt and she's trying to get out of debt and she's got all of the personal life going on and all the things that you you currently think you're busy just trying to nail all of your hobbies, right? So she's like trying to deal with all of our personal life stuff. But then also she's got our boss and our team leader and, our, and, and her subordinates and everyone within the business sending our stuff and problems and that doesn't work and why doesn't this, um, why doesn't this, uh, why this campaign go out and why hasn't that happened i can't remember if i said sandra works in accounts or marketing now it's just there, though, she's around. there you go she might do both so like she's got loads of stuff flying at her from above and below her in the business and so actually you're a new level like you know trying to get her to come and join your email list is like a new level of distraction um that she sort of isn't hasn't quite got the bandwidth to take on right now even if your thing sounds like it might be helpful. And so I think if you've got anything other than an exceptionally interesting, exciting reason for her to come and give you her her work email address, which again is already bombarded with stuff, um, then then you're, you're going to be fighting a losing battle. So the first thing really is to go, what is the, what is the really good? And when we say this, uh, this can't be taken for granted. And it applies to all marketing, but particularly here, having the most compelling, interesting, unique positioning and messaging to get somebody to join your email list and pay attention in the first place is probably more important here than anywhere else. Because again, these people are busy from all directions. So just saying, join my newsletter about thing is not going to cut it. You can That can be the lead magnet. I'm not saying that won't work. But the, the reason to do it, the positioning of that newsletter, the positioning of that lead magnet, the positioning of that quiz has to just be more compelling than you probably think it needs to be in order to get the same level of attention that you want it to get. So just having a thing that's got a compelling headline um, is not necessarily enough unless the the messaging and the idea behind the headline, the, the big idea behind the headline is compelling and interesting in the first place. Yeah, I mean, how many people's B2B websites that we've been around when we were sort of researching for this episode and you go to their homepage and they've got just this dull, bland, sign up to our company newsletter will keep you up to date with the goings on. Who gives a toss honestly like i don't care like you like you've got a new marketing manager and they're they're from idaho and they've got three i don't give a shit like i don't care it's so easy to do in the b2b space where you go well you know we should we shouldn't really be um be sort of more direct response if you think about it rob i hadn't really thought about it until this moment my my first ever newsletter was b2b because i was a corporate entertainer only selling to corporations, where I, my target audience was companies with more than 200 staff, usually with multiple locations, right? 
jet, usually global, but generally multiple locations. So I'm selling B2B. Which means likely the person joining your list is going to be what? I mean, it's it different from business to business, but it could be the assistant to the, the CEO who's got to organize the awards due. Or, it could know, be the like marketing that. manager who's doing the marketing conference. It could be the sales manager who's organizing the sales conference or, or whatever. Yeah, so you've got some kind of a human being who's got uh, wants and desires. So again, it's just about going, okay, what does the human really want? Like in my case, it's um, it's it was something like... Um, what the heck was my lead magnet? I'm trying to think now. Put myself on the spot, which was ridiculous. But it was something to do with like six ways to get the most out, the most out value and impact from the next entertainer you hire for your conference. Like it, it was something around getting va- the most value out of out of entertainment or, or the people who are at your conference or whatever. And so people would opt in from that in from that because you think about what is what's the thing like this 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 VA this PA this EA or this secretary was trying to solve. Um, or the other lead magnet I had that worked really, really well was about, it was something to do, with, it was some kind of framework or something um, to help them organize events much more smoothly. Because I understood that most of the people who were hiring me were not professional event organizers at the time. They were people who'd been going, oh, you know what it is, Jerry, can you sort out the, the event this year? And they're like, yeah, okay. And they've got not a Scooby-Doo what they're doing. They start searching the internet for entertainers and then they stumble across my lead magnet and that says, here's my 23-step framework that makes sure you've got everything sorted for your event without getting ripped off or forgetting anything. And they're like, oh my God, that's my two biggest fears. So I'm speaking to the individual who's looking to solve their problem within the business. That's an important definition here. The lead magnet, the reason to opt in, has to not solve the business's problem. It has to solve the individual within the business's problem. Yeah, because there's an interesting thing there where those lead magnets are actually wider than hiring you, aren't they? They're not like join my newsletter where it's all about me. They're actually, this sounds counterintuitive, but they're actually... uh, they would help them regardless of what entertainer they hire, right? Absolutely. So if they end up, it just if they end up opting in for I've your lead magnet, address and I can do the marketing to them. Exactly. So what that means is that they can, uh, if they stumble across your list and your 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 um, lead magnet is generically about, it's, sorry, specifically about hiring you in some regard, like join my newsletter or do this. Once they opt in for that, if they decide to take a different route or do something else, they've got no reason to hang around on your list. Whereas actually, if you were a helpful person who turned up and said, I've got wider advice for you than just hiring me and it's going to help you. Because again, remember what you said there about solving their problem, not the business's problem. Their problem right now is I've never organized an event before because I don't I want to look marketing. like a dick in front of my boss. Yeah, exactly. Or, front, or if you're the manager, I don't want to look like I'm incompetent in front of my subordinates. Like nobody yeah. wants to look look incompetent. And and this all goes down. We did an episode about the the stage of awareness, right? The high the stage of awareness. What we want to generally do is yes, you might want to have both lead magnets. You might want to have a lead magnet which is solving the problem aware, which is what we're talking about. These kind of lead magnets. The problem aware lead magnet is. Um, is how to organize a conference without missing something out or how to get the most value out of entertainers. You also do probably want to have a, a, a product or solution-aware lead magnet as well to get people on, which is uh, one of my best-performing ones was get my rate card. People want to know they get your website as an entertainer and they want to know how much you charge. Like that's, But what I did find is a whole bunch of the people who opted in for that were my competitors because they wanted to know how much I was charging. So and it is interesting. But I want to just drive that home before we move on. We, In our way of building our email list, the thing we're offering people in exchange for their email address to get them onto the email list is solving the problem of the individual 
who's within the company, not just the problem of the company. Really important thing that we've got to do within B2B uh, list building. So the next issue that can kind of come across is that you are getting loads of people unsubscribing. Yeah, they're, they're joining your email list, but damn, the uh, the door seems wide open. There's a huge hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza, and they're all they're all leaving. One of the ways of fixing that is to do what I talked about a second ago, just as a total aside before we get into the proper content for this bit, which I guess is, uh, again, have a lead magnet that is wider than just hiring you. So if they're looking for, in your case, looking for an entertainer for their event and they subscribe to, if they come along and they subscribe to Jeff the Magician, uh, Kennedy that mind reader guy, um, John the the, the um, juggler, and you know Stephanie the acrobat, Yes. And then they end up only hiring one of those. Is he going to remember all those. these examples in a second? Is he? F- no, it's, I'm, I'm happy I'm done with that now. Okay. And they only, they only hire you. They can immediately unsubscribe from everyone else's list instantly. Whereas actually, if you're helpful and your email marketing is now, again, the way that we teach it is it's not just about you and your stuff, but it's about solving the emotional problems in their life you're now able to turn up and be helpful above and beyond that thing, right? So sure, you want to get them, drive them ultimately to hire you. But the truth is they might not hire you this time, but they might be able to hire you next time. But exactly. again, if you can turn up in the interim with uh, useful stuff, or maybe they're not, if it's not a, like, you know, Kennedy's event thing is an obscure example. If it's more about they're just not ready to actually solve that problem right now, they want to do it further down the line, they're more likely to remain subscribed if your newsletter is generally helpful stuff rather than being all about you. Actually, I'll just go back to the getting people on your email list thing as well. One of the things I would definitely recommend you do is let's say we've got ABC recruitment. That's our business and we're selling to obviously other businesses, right? B2B. What will often happen is Stephanie at ABC recruitment will join your email list. But in many businesses, people move. People move businesses. So if you can, I would try and put some kind of system in place where you get Stephanie, in this case, you get her on your email list with her personal Ymail or Gmail account. Because now, wherever she goes, whichever company she's she might be working for XYZ recruitment next week, you want to go with her. So that's the little extra tip you could get. It means you do inflate your email email list a little bit, but it means you've got more longevity in that relationship. Sorry to take us back around there, Robert. That's head. all right. So that's that's the first thing is you can sort of help to curb this unsubscribe thing by being more helpful than just hire me, hire me, and I'll keep talking at you until you do or you unsubscribe. Having said all of that, you do want to push people to uh, work with you and that kind of thing. So I guess uh, the real reasons behind this are that people don't, continue to know who you are or why they should read your emails you haven't bridged the fact that somebody should join your newsletter and then hang around in order to continue to get really great advice a lot of the time again this is making it not about you but about them so for example if a lot of b2b email marketing is a is a weekly newsletter so again stephanie in accounts joins your email list um, because you've got an accountancy software and you had a good lead magnet. And now what you do is you email them every every week, just letting them know what's going on. Nobody cares. It's not helping them solve their problem. What you really want to do is you want to help them. You want to sort of help them and nudge them in the right direction with your emails, regardless of whether they end up hiring or buying from you. Because that's what keeps people around for a long time. That's not to say you just give them the farm and give them everything for free and let them crack on. But you want to give them our sort of, think about our typical approach to emails. If you've heard any of our episodes before, if you're on our on, on our list, is hints, tips, stories, ideas, and stuff that connects with the human in the business. That's what's going to keep somebody subscribed to your email list, is knowing that actually I enjoy 
come into the office every day, switch on the, or, you know, my home office if they work from home, uh, come in, into the office, switching on the computer, and then um, and, and then finding out what Rob and Kennedy have to say this week. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the one of the quick ways you can you can get over this idea that they sort of don't remember who you are. Um, first of all, is to make sure that the, your from name is actually a human being, right? And also includes the brand name, because I can tell you now I've subscribed to so many B two B lists because obviously we buy things like software and coaching and stuff like that uh, to to continue our learning. And I'll join ABC Coaching's list, and then I suddenly get in these emails from. Mike Smith, and I'm like, who the shit is Mike Smith? Really simple solution for that. The reason you're going to get opens is because I don't know who Mike Smith is in this example. So simple solution, and we, you'll see it in all of our emails that you receive from us, is it has the person's name, so it might be uh, Aiden, right? It might say Aiden, you're like, who the hell's Aiden? But it says Aiden, slash, or dash, or brackets, or whatever you want, then email marketing heroes. So now you know it's a human being from that brand. You go, oh, that's right, I signed up to email marketing heroes email list. Got it. So we're creating a personal connection by having the name and we're reminding you why you're on the list. Oh, I remember email marketing heroes. I don't remember the name because people's name is just blur into one big thing. If you can't put a, a face to that name, you don't know that person intimately, it's very quick to lose that. The second reason people don't know who the hell you are is honestly because you're not emailing very often. You're not emailing, emailing often enough to be remembered. Like how many, you know, there's probably somebody you bumped into or met at an event or something a year ago who you can't even remember you met. And right. you'll might meet them. How many times have you met somebody and you've gone and they go, oh, I met you at that event. You go, I just don't remember. I feel terrible. But then you may be fake and go, oh, yes, it was great. And how is everyone? You know, however the hell you get around that awkward moment. If you're not showing up regularly, they are going to forget who you are. And when you receive an email from somebody you don't recognize their name or you can't remember being involved with them, you assume it's spam, it's unsolicited, it's not something you want. So you don't open the emails. That's what's happening with them. They're forgetting who you are. So increasing your frequency to at least a few times a week means they cannot forget who you are, which means they're going to continue opening your emails, especially if it's really good stuff. That all said... Um, there are kind of uh, two, um, two, two, uh, two kind of models on this. Yeah. So one of our approaches is actually to think that, ju- generally speaking, bit of a caveat to this, but generally speaking, unsubscribes is not a problem if it's part of your business model, and that's not an excuse to just go, "Oh, my email marketing sucks," uh, so people are going to unsubscribe, and therefore that's okay because that's my model I've chosen. Um, but what we mean is basically, you can either have high retention or you can have high churn, and it's going to depend on how sort of uh, aggressively you push and clean your list so we take the approach of high churn with our with our list what we do is we want to keep the leanest list of hyper fans that we possibly can so what happens with our business is somebody joins our email list um and we will very very quickly work through our getting to know you sequence and our initial emails to make them either somebody who's going to be a subscriber for a long time or unsubscribe super fast and we are happy to know that most people will unsubscribe well, not the most lots of people will unsubscribe super fast in order that we are bringing enough people in that some of those people become the lifers and they're going to hang around forever why well because having a small but super profitable list a, a small but li- a small list of very active people who buy a lot is actually just much more profitable it's easier to manage the deliverability is easier the higher gene of that list is better and so actually just remember that getting 
getting a lot of unsubscribes. What you what you want to avoid, however, is a sudden surge of unsubscribes. If you're doing something and suddenly you get a big surge of unsubscribes like you've never seen before, then probably you've done something wrong and you want to wind that back and figure out what you did there and not do that again. But if you've got a consistently high unsubscribe rate, it's not a huge problem if that is by design and if your marketing and your sales is making up for that. So that's not an excuse to just go, oh, my unsubscribe rate is high and Robin Kennedy said that's fine. But if it's a case of uh, I want to keep my list clean and I want to keep it to the point and I want to make sure that people are either going to buy from me quickly and they're going to remain lifers or um, they're sort of just going to come in, they're going to briefly get my lead magnet, we're going to decide to part ways and then they're going to go, that's fine mm. too. And again, we're not suddenly talking about a 70% un unsubscribe rate. It's still <laughs> only a few percent. Yeah. But again... You don't have to look at every subscriber and think, how do I cling onto that person? We don't pay $6 to acquire a subscriber and then go, right, I've got to nurture that person. Otherwise, if they unsubscribe, I've lost my $6. Instead, we look at it as we might spend $6,000 to acquire 1,000 subscribers and some of them are going to unsubscribe, but we're going to turn the rest of them into hyperfans who will buy so much stuff that that will more than cover the cost of the ones who do unsubscribe. So just remember that the unsubscribe thing is a bit of a myth in terms of it always being a bad thing. It can actually be part of your model to just go, I'm not I'm not looking to build like legacy um, brand that's going to go on for generations. And even if you are, you can still do the high unsubscribe thing. Um, again, you, you can just go, I, want, I don't want a list of a billion people who I'm frightened to email. I want a list of 2,000 people, but all of them respond and buy from stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So just you got to pick your pick your path, and both are great. Both are valid. Both are hugely successful. Either you're going to go for high churn, or you're going to go for high retention and more nurture. Just pick your thing, and then be comfortable with it. That's the way it is. And as long as we're getting the result we're looking for, which is this level of income, this level of sales, this level of profit, all that sort of good stuff. The next thing we're going to talk about is what happens in B two B if you're not making sales for your business from this email marketing stuff, and the the likely diagnosis of this is that you're not making enough sales in the first 60 days of someone's relationship with you on your email list. In our research and our business, and in a few others, um, we found that if someone does not buy from us in the first 60 days of their relationship, the first couple of months of their relationship with us on our email list, their chance of ever buying from us plummets down to less than 5%. And that makes sense if you think about it, really. Like someone joins your email list because they've got a problem or they want to grow in some area or they want to solve a thing. They, If they haven't solved it within 60 days with you, they've probably gone and found the solution from somewhere else. People don't join email list willy-nilly generally, right? They're looking for a, a problem or a solution to a problem now. So that's, that's why I want to do that. So the way you fix that is just by making sure that when someone joins your email list, you've got a whole bunch of email campaigns and automations and 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 and, um, and systems in place to make sure that you give them the best chance of buying from you within those first 60 days by using a combination of sales campaigns and content-led campaigns and objection, all these different things that we talk about in what we call the score engine uh, and using our score method, right? So uh, that's probably the reason. If you're not making enough sales, I would say you need to focus on the first 60 days days of that relationship the first, and do it in chunks the first seven days the first 14 30 um 45 and uh, and then 60 days of the relationship and looking at ma maximizing sales in those days rather than seeing it as a super long-term play of course there are some b2b businesses at a larger scale where you know your sales cycle is longer 
And if that is the case, just make sure that you're building in checkpoints along the way to automate that process to make sure less people are falling through the cracks. And again, I would see those things as little mini sprints rather than going, okay, our average turnaround time from joining the list to becoming a customer, we have a long, a long sales cycle. Okay. It's usually 24 months. If like, I know that some people are selling like jet engines and stuff like that. 24 months is not an uncommon sales cycle. Not a lot of our customers are in that place, but here's out of interest. Here's what happens there. You go, great. Don't see it as a 24 month cycle. Break down the points in the relationship to micro cycles. Okay, we're going to do the first 60 days is when we're going to try and get the initial um, fact find. Then after that, the next 180 days are going to be uh, some kind of X consultation. And then after that, we've got another period, which is the Y consultation, leading up to this point when the, the work is commissioned. So again, breaking down long sales cycles into micro cycles allows you to achieve the KPIs that you've got as you go. So again, looking at making these, these periods of time and maximizing the result towards that result, that outcome within that period of time. The next one, Rob, do you want to have a chat about uh, subscribers not opening your emails? Yeah, a lot of the time this comes down to the, um, it's one of those things that this is going to sound like a contradiction, but we always say that subject lines don't just have the job of getting your emails open. They do, they, but they do have the job of getting your emails open. They don't just have that job. They have other things to do as well, like driving clicks, engagement and sales, but they do also have the job of helping you to get your emails uh, open. So I think a lot of the time, again, people look at B2B marketing as this weird animal where they have to be very professional and very subject uh, and very um uh, uh benefit driven in the subject lines and they can't inject the same personality into subject lines that they would into uh into a, a b2c email but actually it's just so not true because again you are talking to a human within a business and therefore uh, whilst you have to be professional within the confines of that so if you're emailing a group of uh, lawyers or funeral directors you probably don't want to be wacky and zany the way that we are but you can still have personality and you can still use personality driven curiosity driven subject lines you can still write emails about the fact that you haven't been to the cinema in six years and make the subject line about that rather than about how this amazing thing's going to impact their lives because again their inbox is full especially a b2b inbox is full of random outreach emails from people who are just trying to get them to pay attention to stuff. It, it's full of benefit-driven subject lines that have no personality at all. So a strong subject line is not the one that it's not like writing a headline for a sales page no. where it's got to be, you know, how to do X without Y or something. And it's got to be very benefit and outcome driven. The subject lines that are going to win are the ones that make them open the email. The subject lines that are going to win are the ones that are going to go, I've got to see what's inside this email because I'm I'm confused, I'm mm. bewildered, I'm interested, I'm intrigued. Any of those emotions are more useful to you uh, in terms of getting open rates than um, I'm going to write the most compelling benefit I possibly can in the subject line. Um, so again, remember you're talking to the human within the business, not you're not talking to the business entity. And therefore you want to write subject lines that like the end of the day, even if somebody sat on your subscriber on your email list thinking, oh, sat on your so subscriber. I love that idea. Someone sat on yeah. Go on. Yeah. Somebody sat on your email list and they're thinking, I'm so professional. I'm the most professional lawyer that's ever professionally lawyered. And like, <laughs> even if that's what they're thinking, the, the, at the core of their human nature, they cannot help but open an email where the subject line is, um, you know, 
curiosity driven like the, the sort of subject line we'll give you at the end when we get i was going to do subject line of the week but we'll do that at the end the the, the a subject line that is purely curiosity driven basically um they can't because the, the core of their human nature they're a human they listen to gossip from their next door neighbors about the other next door neighbors in the same way that everyone else does they watch the soap operas to find out what's going on in the on the lives of these fictional people because that gives us a, a um that gives us a fix for a craving we have they are at, the, at their core human beings who will gut respond because remember opening an email is often a gut response you're just sort of flicking down and you just see one you tap it before you've even thought about it um so they are humans at the end of the day and that's what you're looking to that's what you're looking to patch up here. So again, humans to humans, uh, it gets said a lot, but it's specifically very applicable here. You want to talk about stuff that's going to be of intrigue to them, not necessarily of benefit to them. And I think one of the things to do in this is to do some split testing. Like, honestly, we don't split test that many email subject lines at the moment. We're just going through a phase of work on some other stuff. We're trying to stay focused and just doing longer term testing. We sort of found a groove for it. But if you really want to get nerdy with like getting more emails opened and you're seeing not really people are opening those emails, split test the email subject line. So the, the way that we've always done it is pretty much is we'll set up the same email, but we'll have two very different subject lines. And I'm not talking about making one word capitals and a different word capitals than the other one or changing the animal that you're referencing the most. I'm talking about have one of them be really absurd and have the other one be quite benefit driven with a couple of benefits in it. And then do a test, take 10% of your list and send them those two subject lines. Whichever one wins after, say, four hours, send the rest of your list, that one, or 20% of your list, depending on your list size. You want to get at least, like, 100, 100 clicks or, so, to get some kind of statistical significance there. So at least 100 clicks or um, or opens, and then, um, and then pick the winner, and then send that out. Start doing some split testing and start noticing the patterns. Start going, okay, here's all my winners. Start making a note of all my winners and then sit down and go, what's common about these? Are they all humorous? Are they all to the point? Are they all very short? Are they all... So what are they to do with literally what's in them? Uh, the physical, like all, they've all got a full stop or a period at the end of them. Or they all have a lowercase first letter. Or they all, um, or they're all very absurd. Or they're all very benefit driven. Because while we have always found in lots of testing in our business and many of our customers that we've asked about this, we find that this compound curiosity approach to subject lines way outperforms benefit-driven ones. We're not saying don't test it. Please test it. Because if in your business, benefit-laden subject lines work, flip and do that. Just do that. So go and find out what works for you. Uh, finally, before we get into the subject line of the week, we're going to talk about what happens if people are not clicking the links in your emails. And the, if people are not obviously opening your emails, they can't be clicking links because they can't be reading your lovely emails. And if they're not clicking the links, they can't be seeing your sales page or your appointment booking page or or your cart or whatever. So if they're not clicking on the links, a bunch of things you can do. A really likely scenario is that the call to action is not clear enough or there's not a call to action at all. You wouldn't believe, especially in the world of B2B, how many times there's not even a thing to go and do. You're not commanding people to go and do a thing. Hey, go book an appointment, go book a demo, go do this thing. It just doesn't happen a lot of the times in B2B. It's almost like we're just giving information out. We want to make sure there's a clear call to action. Go watch the demo, book a demo, get the free trial, um, book an appointment, get a call in, uh, whatever that thing's going to be. Download the information pack. 
Make sure you're doing all of these things. A really good way of making sure that there are these call to actions really stand out. Because if, if it's buried in the middle of paragraphs or right at the very end of your email, you might find that people are just becoming link blind to it. They're not seeing it. And we actually created a resource I'm going to give you a heads up on. It's totally free. So you can go and check this out. Just go to emailmarketingheroes.com slash tricks. Emailmarketingheroes.com emailmarketingheroes.com slash tricks. And that's it's a free PDF we put together called Click Tricks. And it's a bunch of different ways, 12 different ways that we dress up and present links in emails to make sure they stand out, to make sure they're compelling and exciting for people to click on to go and take the next action. So go to emailmarketingheroes.com slash tricks to go and check that. You just put your email address in and just download that and start implementing them across your emails and you'll get way more clicks in your emails. Awesome. I hope that really helps you. Let us know. And uh, we'll get to get into this week's subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. Mate, I've just seen what you've pulled up and I've got to say, I, I, you remember that voice message you're going, mate, that is a great subject line. So the subject line is, we are ranked 18,281,928, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It was a, an email. The concept was around the fact of... Um, I saw a, a tourist attraction that said that it was one of the top 25 wonders of the world. And I was like, I'm sure there's only seven wonders of the world. You can't just keep ma- making that list longer and longer till you're on it. Otherwise, Robin Kennedy are uh, eight, in the top 18,281,928 wonders of the world. That was the point of the email. But I think the interesting thing about the subject line itself is it sort of sounds and looks like a big grand, we won, you know, like some big proclamation of some amazing achievement. But actually, it's like a weird... Uh, Downplay, There's a running it? theme. A lot of our subject lines are sort of like a weird backwards flip on what most people would want. So yeah, it's sort of like, yes, we didn't win. We came 18 millionth or something. That's what it sort of triggers. Uh, so that's where it came from. Absolutely love it. That's this week's subject line of the week. Subject line of the week. I almost pressed the wrong button again. I was going to say, can um, you imagine? Yeah, I was about to play like, um, I don't know. What would Julie Andrews do or something? Anyway, thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, quite a different discussion today, talking about B2B email marketing. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, even if you're not a, a B2B business, I would love to hear what you specifically took away from this episode. Do let us know by um, making your comments and tagging us at Rob and Kennedy on Instagram or over or starting the discussion, just letting us know by making a new post about your big takeaway in the Email Marketing Show community free Facebook group. Literally, just go to Facebook, search for the Email Marketing Show community, and just start a new post. Let us know what you took from this episode. I'm specifically interested because it was quite a departure from our normal stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Email Marketing Show. Email Marketing Show.